Welcome to The Trail Less Traveled, an adventure series dedicated to taking you back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. Missoula, Montana is a mecca for outdoor enthusiasts, and each week we will bring you tales of outdoor adventures both near and far, as well as adventure information and inspiration and a few tunes to set the mood. You can read more about the show online at traillesstraveled.net. And now here's your host, Grand Canyon Whitewater Guide, yoga instructor, and master of the didgeridoo, Mandela. We are recording the Trail Less Traveled on location in Australia, in Caloundra, which is on the eastern coast of Australia, in the uh, tops of kites from the kite borders who are enjoying the wind. So we're recording inside right now, uh, but it is a lovely day in Australia. And I'm here with Regan Gordon. He is an artist, adventurer, and adrenaline seeker. Uh, he is Australian, born and raised, and he's going to be talking about growing up in Australia, learning from his grandfather in the bush, um, traveling the world with his art, uh, downhill mountain biking, surfing, and even talking about being in the newest uh, Pirates of the Caribbean movie. That's great. Thanks for your time and energy joining me here today on The Trail Less Traveled. Uh, thank you very much for having me. It's, uh, it's been interesting so far just even finding the building. <laughs> Regan, my first question for you is, where did you grow up and how was adventure a part of your childhood? So I grew up in Sydney originally, which is on the east coast of Australia, right down in the centre there. I lived with my mother who raised me and my elder brother and sister who were both from a previous marriage, so they were significantly older than me and, and quite strong role models. And as far as adventure was concerned, our family all have a, a very strong connection with adventure, which was bred into us by our grandfather. Uh, he helped raise all of us, made sure we all turned out to be good, decent people. Often he would have our family take adventures off into the bush for Mother's Day or Father's Day or various birthdays and... We'd all meet up in secluded locations for barbecues. and The adventure that uh, was Gramps, my grandfather, was constant. Everything we did with him was, was always turned into some kind of adventure and there was always a certain amount of mischief that we were allowed to get up to with Gramps that wasn't allowed anywhere else. In a grander respect, my uh, early childhood in Sydney, we lived right next to the Royal National Park, which meant that adventure was only just down the street. My first sense of freedom came from having a push bike which my brother and I used to ride our push bikes constantly down into the national park along trails to water holes to go swimming stop and catch poisonous ants and play with deadly animals and all sorts yeah. of silly things that we shouldn't have been doing but never once did we ever find ourselves in too much harm the area was a was a beautiful area to grow up in because it was right beside the city so you could ride into the city and get up to the same sort of mischief kids who grew up in the city get up to but at the same time you could split away into the bush and disappear and have your complete own adventures the family also lived quite close to the beach so often we would venture down to the beach as well at um, a place called Cronulla which is one of the southern beaches in Sydney it's a very beautiful spot and home of my favourite football team the Cronulla Sharks and at the time being very young the surf was very intimidating and uh, a lot of the time dealing with the waves was something that would scare me. My grandfather was a surf lifesaver originally from the Yamina region which is sort of the central coast of New South Wales just slightly north of Sydney. His uh, surfing skills were always 
the safety block that we fell back on. He'd um, teach you how to ride the waves, manipulate the waves, uh, but at the same time, my older brother, my uncle, my cousin and my grandfather would all throw me around in the waves and scare the living shit out of me, which helped me develop a respect for just how complex the surf is and things that were going on underneath the water, and much to my mother's dismay, but it was something that helped develop adrenaline seeking inside me as well at the same time the amount of fear that I would go through in those moments uh, reconciled with that sudden hand that plucked you out of the water and pulled you back up to the surface for another breath was um, a reassuring mechanism probably in a lot of respects a dangerous mechanism that made me lose connection with fear in the way that other people have at the same time it inspired me to not be so afraid of things that you know there's always someone watching out and quite often when I did start taking my own adventures in the surf and things like that, I would find myself a bit deeper than I should have been and somehow just bailed myself out through the confidence of not giving up, not panicking, just continuing through. As I got older, Mum and I ended up moving away from Sydney and uh, into Canberra. My brother and sister followed, but both shortly after uh, moved out of home and into their own lives. My brother joined the army, but uh, before the time... When he joined the army, we, we spent a lot of time adventuring on our push bikes around Canberra. Canberra is the capital city of Australia. It's about 300 kilometres southwest of Sydney itself. So it's right out in the bush on the plains. It's a very dry sort of area. But at the same time, it's a very sparse city. So all the suburbs are connected by massive tracts of bushland. And in those tracks would be mountain bike trails, BMX trails, BMX tracks. So the adventures you could have in Canberra were just amazing it was great fun to be in Canberra but it, we I definitely did miss the um being in the ocean mm-hmm. over the next couple of years we found our way to Goulburn which is just a bit north of Canberra in between Canberra and Sydney which is a, an old rural town it's a pretty harsh area and um one of the coldest places in Australia too in a lot of respects very windy the the weather there was very harsh I remember the years of playing sports in Goulburn were torturous. Standing on the soccer fields at four o'clock in the afternoon for soccer training, huddled around with your mates, almost cuddling each other to stay warm, was um, slightly unpleasant. And then the six o'clock starts on icy fields, playing soccer in your little shorts, (laughs) running around, freezing your bums off. Uh, But it was all good fun. That was a good, you know, team-building time of my life. And um, Goulburn was an eye-opener to, you know, the, the harsh conditions that some people desire to put up with especially living inland in Australia where it does get quite dry you know the climate isn't as as pleasant as people would believe eventually we moved up here to Caloundra where I've stayed for the last 25 years it was great to be able to reconnect with the ocean and that's where my strength as a surfer and um, a lot of my confidences were built from manipulating the waves and, and learning to, to read the waves and rips and currents and things like that and eventually get to the point where I was a confident surfer and, and I eventually moved into being a, a rider of a surf ski which uh, the locals refer to as a goat boat uh, where uh, one of the hated forms of surfers probably the most detested because uh, we sit down to, to surf which is kind of cheating for anyone who's ever actually given it a go and and mastered the art itself, they'll, they'll realise there's a lot more to it than just some um, idiot on a goat boat cruising around trying to clip people with their silly board. I've had some pretty amazing adventures out on the ocean with the goat boat and surfed some amazing waves up and down the um, east coast of Australia all the way to Fraser Island, 
right down to the mid-coast or central coast of New South Wales and all sorts of amazing locations. And It's been great to go on those surf trips and, and you know, get away with the mates, bond with your friends, uh, put your life in the firing line and hope that the ocean doesn't churn you up and kill you. And there's been some absolute spectacle moments. One down in Cabarita Beach where my mate, his partner and I went surfing and the surf was so big you had to line up on the rocks for half an hour behind all the other surfers to jump off the one spot it was possible to get into the water without getting crushed. And on a surfboard, that's difficult. On a goat boat, being more buoyant and having a paddle and having other issues, it's even more difficult again, you know, having to actually get up on the goat boat in a seated position and paddle through waves and get your feet in the mounts and all that kind of stuff. It is quite tricky in, in raging surf. So I eventually got my spot um, on the rocks there and waited for my turn to jump in and picked the waves, did my wave count and jumped in and slightly mistimed my launch and ended up sort of in the firing line for the next half an hour just battling through the, the constant barrage of 10 to 12 foot of white water that was just constantly ripping around the point. I did eventually make a break through that and got out to the back and joined in line with about 30 other surfers. The waves continued to come from deeper and deeper out the back and there was no way of measuring exactly where the break was starting. And For the next half an hour or so I watched probably six surfers catch waves. Most of the time me and the other blokes were fighting for our lives to get through the next mountain of water that was coming time and time again. On the goat boat over the years of learning to manipulate my way through waves, the, the main technique is paddle your guts out and get there as quick as you can and just charge straight up the face. If the wave goes to break on top of you, you can actually lean the nose in and sometimes you, you create like a duck dive or a tunnel and funnel yourself out to the back of the wave. But these waves are so big and the mountains of white water were so big, I had to adopt a completely different technique, which was more like what a longboarder would do, paddle at it as fast as they can and at the last minute jump forward onto the front of the board tilt it over upside down and pull the nose down and kick ferociously to try and you know gain some leeway under the wave this technique was working great for me at the time and often the uh, ferocity of the wave would spin me back upright and poke me out the other side had I been caught by one of those waves I would have been ripped back onto the point and across the rocks on the headland and then into the bay of the beach across more rocks and uh, it would have almost been a, a near-death experience it was a tumultuous place to be and it was quite terrifying. My mate Shane eventually made it out as well and he joined the, the line of other surfers and, and of the 30 or so blokes who were out there, like I said, I saw six catch a wave and then finally one lined up for me. The, the waves were extremely full so at the point where you're trying to launch into the wave, if the wave starts to reform, the term is called full and that often makes you slide backwards up the wave and you'll lose the wave. These waves, when they got to that point, the lip would break, knock you onto the face, then the wave would reform, making it full, and if you had enough speed, you'd be able to push over the new lip and free-fall onto the wave. I managed to make the first free-fall and dropped into the wave, and by the time I dropped in, it was already barreling around me, and I had to drop in, instead of with my board dead straight, slightly lent to the right so that I would actually make a purchase at the beginning of the, the takeoff. And as soon as I let, touched the wave, my board started to track its way to the right and we slid straight down to the bottom into a section of water that was lower than the rock line to the left of me, which was facing the beach. So to my left was a small bommie of rocks, probably about a metre and a half high, which I was now sitting underneath and beside of, tracking sideways along the wave. My um, 
friend's partner was sitting on the beach at this time and recalls seeing me disappear below the waterline and wondering exactly where I'd gone until suddenly I came shooting back up out of my bottom hand turn onto the face of the wave and, and made it out of the barrel and into the next couple of sections that we'd ridden the wave the day before and it was an amazing wave but it was a lot smaller the day before and that's why we'd come back was just because of how good it was and uh, to be there the next day and have already had a little bit of local knowledge was crucial to make that bottom hand turn and then ride the wave accordingly but it was just that one particular wave in my life is probably one of the most grandest surfing moments I'll ever experience and to have at least two mates there to vouch for it um, is always good proof in the pudding the rest of the wave was was epic and, and to a lot of extent the moment of adrenaline created by the takeoff almost cancels the ability to make memories of the rest of the journey. By the time I came out the other end of the wave, and I, I remember clean cutting off the back of the wave, many sections further down, probably two or 300 metres away from where I started, and I was just in awe of the experience, but I couldn't tell you exactly what happened other than that first takeoff. The rest of the wave was just a, a forgotten memory, a burnt in adrenaline. I paddled back out and tried my best to catch a few more waves, but it was just so big that it was, was almost impossible to maintain that level of ferocity against the ocean whilst it did what it did so both Shane and I eventually turned around and came back in and it's a great experience to have had that moment with Shane and, and he and I have spent plenty of time together on surf trips up and down the coast and mm. seen each other catch some awesome waves so it, it was pretty cool but that was one of the things that uh, always inspired me in, in a, the sense of adrenaline was, was riding waves and testing the limits as far as things went. As a young surfer I'd surf in the in the appropriate areas on the appropriate beaches at the appropriate times and was very cautious and if the water seemed to be pulling me one way or another I'd get nervous and start moving away and, and then as the years grew on eventually I found myself surfing over the rocks using the rips to get out the back mm-hmm. sitting deeper and deeper out the back and that escalated to the point where I found myself at places like Double Island north of the Sunshine Coast just south of Fraser Island uh, you know, massive waves there and in the open ocean with no lifesavers, no rescue mechanisms. It's just you and your mates and you know, sort of flying by the seat of your pants. Then down at Cabarita Beach, same thing again. It was definitely exciting. That is the voice of Regan Gordon, and you are on the trail less travelled. The Trail 1033's locally harvested adventure series. We are recording the show on location in Australia, Eastern Australia, in the community of Caloundra. Regan is an artist, adventurer, and adrenaline seeker. Regan, it's now time for a song, so can you please share a song with us that reminds you of your early childhood adventures? So a song that reminds me of my early childhood adventures was Tubular Bells. Not So a song that reminds me of my early childhood adventures was Tubular Bells. I'm not exactly sure of the artist, I know it's probably been covered quite a few times by different people, but uh, my mother and I used to listen to it whilst travelling in the car on trips from Sydney um, on the east coast to places like Canberra or Goulburn, just inland of uh, Sydney. Through the mountains and the uh, the bushlands and, and along the, the travel there, tubular bells was a, a great accompaniment. At the time, that the use of synthesizers and that, that style of music was a little bit edgy, unique, or a bit different to everything else that was in the mainstream, so it was quite a, a dreamy tune. It was easy to, to look at the landscape and just imagine yourself riding a push bike beside the car or coming down the massive mountains around Lake George 
in between Canberra and Goulburn, this uh, amazing lake that drains every so many years and then just magically fills back up again. The mountain range was the great dividing range that we were travelling across, which is that travels up and down the whole eastern coast of Australia from the, the movement of tectonic plates over the millennia past. And this mountain range is, is just a, a massive border between the coast of Australia and pretty much the whole inland or interior, which is one thing that makes our country unique. The division between actually getting into the highlands and into the pastoral lands is, is quite a, a journey, and the reason why Australia's explorers and original farmers you know had so much difficulty and, and the reason you know you'll find such hard old men in Australia because they've they've lived the hard yards and had to do the hard hard work before anyone else came along and you know built trailblazed the paths and, and figured out the ways to get to different places it's it was always good fun in the car traveling with mum and being on these little uh, in a lot of respects you're on ancient trails ancient Australian trails so it was yeah, it was a good experience really good fun G'day mate, this is Joe coming to you from the Sunshine Coast in Eastern Australia. The Trail Less Travelled podcast is sponsored by Desert Green Hemp, family farmed, organically grown, tested and manufactured in Sisters, Oregon. Desert Green is a collective of farms on the eastern foothills of the Oregon Cascade Range that grow and produce the highest quality full spectrum CBD products currently on the market. Desert Green grows some of the finest genetics in the world using organic and biodynamic practices to provide the cleanest and most effective CBD. The rich volcanic mountain soils, dry climate and directly sourced mountain spring waters are what gives Desert Green uniquely pure and powerful CBD products. They also grow a variety of herbs and flowers on their farms that not only provide a direct source for some of their products but also introduce beneficial bugs and pollinators to their land. Desert Green Hemp pride themselves on contributing to the regeneration of social, economic and environmental health on our planet. Visit DesertGreenHemp.com to check out some of their products including CBD honey, olive oil, salve, mint yarrow CBD tincture and hemp flour for smoking. My personal experience regarding CBD includes an overall feeling of calmness and relief from anxiety. A few years ago, I unfortunately encountered full-body joint pain due to an Australian virus that passes from kangaroo to mosquito. CBD helped relieve inflammation and pain similar to arthritis. Visit DesertGreenHemp.com and remember to use the promo code MANDELA, M-A-N-D-E-L-A. This promo code will get you discounts and special offers. That promo code, Mandela, directly helps you and the future of Adventure Radio. This afternoon, the trail has travelled is being recorded in Caloundra, Australia, eastern Australia, up the coast about 100 kilometres north of Brisbane. We are on location with Regan Gordon. He's an artist, adventurer, and adrenaline seeker. We were just learning about what he has learned in the surf of Australia, and I would love now to talk to you, Regan, about your time walking in the bush with your grandfather. In your country, there is a long history of sharing the knowledge from our elders, specifically skipping one generation. So, for example, what you did, going on walks in the bush with your grandfather. 
Yeah, so my grandfather was a very interesting character, an adventurous character, and he was is uh, very interested in exploring Australia, and he did a lot of that just even on foot. So from around the age of 12 years old, um, I was invited to go on these bushwalks with my grandfather. Before that, we would go on little mini walks through parks and things, but but nothing as adventurous as the, the bushwalks I'll tell you the stories of. These bushwalks entailed staying over at my grandparents' house so that we could get a, an early start. And first thing in the morning, you'd be woken up by your grandfather probably about four o'clock, at which point, you know, you'd be, you'd be fed a quick breakfast and jump in the car and off we go. Everything was packed the night before, sandwiches, tea and coffee, a backpack that we used to carry everywhere we went that my grandfather had from the 1920s or 1940s, this old leather, probably ex-army sort of backpack. It was very uncomfortable to carry, but um, I've still got it today. It sits behind my bar at home as a memoir of those moments and the adventures we travelled. So we'd set off in the car and often drive a couple of hundred kilometres, so it would be a two to three hour journey and, and we'd arrive somewhere usually around six or seven maybe a little bit later deep in the bush often we would travel south towards uh, an area called the shell haven which is surrounded by towns like Nowra and Kiama, all on the south coast of new south wales just south of sydney there and often they were up there in the great dividing range the mountain range that splits the east coast of the country from the center couple of these bush walks gramps would often play games as we walked and uh he'd teach you different tricks you know we'd play games relevant to using the alphabet using numbers sometimes the games were more physical but uh, it was always a challenge to see you know it was who could outwit the other person at the same time we would walk if not march at quite solid pace taking turns carrying the pack so he purposely would wear you out and then we'd stop for cups of tea and he'd teach you things about making fires Travelling light, keeping it simple, uh, things like that. The reality about exerting yourself in the bush and just how dangerous that can be. A lot of the time we'd follow main trails as far as his two-wheel drive could take us and then walk further from there. He always had a destination picked out that we were seeking to get to, but it wasn't always on a fire trail or a marked trail. So often we would venture to a certain point where he remembered from a previous bushwalk sometimes with by himself or with other friends or various members of the family who were older than me had gone on the years before he'd suddenly stop and turn off into the bush so as we didn't get lost he'd make a marker on the ground that we'd be easily recognized by us if we were to come back to that spot that indicated where we turned off and where we came from then as we walked through the bush he'd teach you about breaking the small limbs of saplings pointing them in the direction you traveled so that when you turned home you'd have an easy way of returning if you had to follow your tracks back exactly but at the same time he kept me conscious of the position of the sun relevant to the time of day and therefore always understanding where my north was this has been a tool that i've used throughout the rest of my life even out in the mountains and in the bush with mates riding motorbikes down trails in the forestry where it's very disorientating with the, the way the trails link up and mates would go oh we're just around the corner from the car and I'd say no we're 30 minutes from the car and then show them the way home and often think to myself geez if my grandfather hadn't taught me those things my mates and I would all be lost in the bush forever <laughs> and ever <laughs> <laughs> so he showed you a lot of relevant things a lot of the time you didn't even realize you were learning anything whilst you were learning a lot of things he, he was just slowly installing these concepts in your mind 
And because you're in the middle of nowhere and you only had him to trust, you had to take those things in. He'd often ask you at the beginning of the day to remember a number, like a phone number, six or eight digits long. And then at the end of the day, ask you to recall that number. It had nothing to do with anything we were doing. It was just something he did to inspire you to use your memory. I always feared and loved Gramps because I always knew he was going to ask me some complicated question that challenged my brain but at the same time you know, share an adventure with me, even if it was just going down to the beach to have an ice cream. Often involved math. So one time we went down to a spot called the Three Sisters, which is sort of west of Nara. My geography on this is a little bit hazy because I was quite young at the time. It's a beautiful spot. You start at the Three Sisters and you descend off the rock cliffs down stairs made by some, by convicts um, from back in the old 1800s and late 1700s and some ladders as well that have been installed by the national parks as a kid. That was top-notch. Like, the beginning of the bushwalk was down ladders and these cool rockways, and it was just amazing. As we slowly ventured down from there into the bush, we got down into the low pastoral lands behind the Three Sisters, which are an amazing thing to look back at, too. They're beautiful rock spirals that come off a peninsula point in the Blue Mountains. We found ourselves down by a creek and stopped there for morning tea, had a little campfire and cooked a billy, as my grandfather would call it, and... He'd always have some funny remark if you spilt your tea or something, like, oh, you've just spilt that on Mother Nature's tablecloth. And <laughs> he just had all these strange things he'd say. But anyway, we got up from there, and, and this is one of the most memorable bushwalks for me because the thing that happened next was, was something that you, you probably rarely ever get to experience in life. And I've had the joy of experiencing it twice now. We walked out of that gully and, and up onto the grasslands. It was a tall timber forest, gum forest, big beautiful tall trees but sparsely spread because there was a lot of grass in between these trees. It was a good little bit of pastoral land. It didn't seem to have any livestock on there or hadn't had any livestock in a while and as we walked across the open area through the grasslands towards the start of the base of the six foot track stairs that lead back up to the Three Sisters, a mob of wild brumbies came into the field and charged straight down at us. The noise was pretty you know, amazing to hear them coming and Gramps instantly recognised the issue that we were about to encompass said to me stay behind me, keep your head down, don't look any of the horses in the face and if any of them touch you offer your hand backwards the horses ran straight down into the grasslands, charged straight at us with the, the stallion Brumby up in front of the pack leading them in and he ran straight past us and just charged around the side of us and then the whole mob ran left and right of us did a full circuit and came back. The stallion then came up to my grandfather and sniffed his hand. My grandfather had his head down respectfully so that there was no sign of aggression towards the stallion. Yeah, the stallion sniffed his hand and sniffed down at me and then the horses just went all off, walked all off around us and just started grazing and had no, no more further issue with us and we slowly and calmly walked our way out of there having had one of the most amazing experiences you could ever have to see a wild mob of, of brumbies actually in the bush is pretty cool but to have them come to you and say g'day that's top notch it doesn't get any better than that Australia has wild horses from um, basically back in the early days as explorers and various properties were establishing in Australia not all of them succeeded often horses got let out horses would break out in storms things like that some people would pass away on their adventures their horses would survive so a lot of the lands in the, the highlands of Australia are quite 
conducive to the survival of horses and cattle and you know with the opportunity to do their own thing they flourished the brumbies that have come from the generations of breeding wild have uh, have been often recaptured and retained and sold as some of the most valuable livestock on the planet as far as horses are concerned they're a horse that's highly respected in battle highly respected for their tolerance of all sorts of conditions their foot skills as well they're a they're a very agile horse they're a very strong backbone of the australian heritage they're an iconic animal they're an iconic beast and the story of the the man from snowy river is one of australia's most famous sort of bush yarns i think it was written by banjo patterson there's a great poem that you know the man from snowy river about the horse of old regret who got away and and the movie the man from snowy river if, if you haven't seen it and you love horses it was made in the 80s, so it's a bit glitchy, but uh, it is some of the most beautiful scenery of the Australian southern highlands where it actually does snow, and the scenery's amazing, the music's beautiful, and the story's quite charming too. So, so yeah, the, the Brumbies are uh, an integral part of Australia's history. That is the voice of Regan Gordon. He is an artist, adventurer, and adrenaline seeker. We are recording the trail has traveled on location in Australia, on the eastern coast of Australia, about uh, halfway up the coast, 100 kilometers north of Brisbane. Regan, you were talking about the southern highlands and how it, it actually snows there, and then growing up as a child and having ice on the field before you've played football. So some listening might think of Australia as a hot, dry place, but... You have so many different climates in your country. Let's talk about how vast Australia is and all the different climates that you find here. Yeah, okay, so Australia is quite large. In the respects of growing up in Sydney and now living in Caloundra, to travel to Sydney now by car would take me approximately 12 to 13 hours, and that's on a good run. So it's, you know, you're talking about some massive distances and And although the eastern coastline does experience a lot of the same weather conditions, the further we go south, the closer we get to the Antarctic, where essentially you're getting close to one of the coldest parts of the Earth. The winds that come off the southern oceans are ferocious, and they have a massive effect on the temperatures that scale through Australia. Although Australia is a very hot and sun-bleached country, the interior is quite burnt and full of quite arid areas, the country itself has a vast range of different uh, weather effects going on. As hot as it is through the day, like most deserts, in the centre of Australia it is extremely cold at night as it doesn't have the ocean to regulate its temperatures. But as we go further south in Australia, especially onto the southern tablelands and the southern highlands, we start to find the elevation is high enough for it to even hold snow. Uh, the snowfields are in the southern highlands of Australia sort of on the border between New South Wales and Victoria. One of the reasons that, that does get so cold down there is, is just the high level of wind. The wind chill factor is amazing. Like As a young boy on the soccer fields of Goulburn, it wouldn't be minus temperatures on the field, but the wind chill factor would be in the minus 40s. The wind would literally just cut through your clothes, straight through your flesh and into your bones. And the interior of Australia is quite often has a lot of areas like that where it's, it's very windy and arid. And yeah, the diversity between temperatures and climates in Australia is quite amazing. So as you start to come up the coastline of Australia, on the eastern seaboard we get to places like Coffs Harbour, which is five or 600 kilometres north of Sydney, and it's extremely tropical partially because the Great Dividing Range comes very close 
to the ocean, so it creates a lot of moisture in the area, a lot of precipitation, a lot of rainfall. And then as the Great Dividing Range backs away, as you come up to places like uh, Brisbane, although Brisbane's in the subtropics, it's not as tropical as somewhere like Coffs Harbour is, which is another 500 k south. Mm-hmm. The diversity between one part and another is just amazing in Australia. You travel 500 k's north of where we are now to Gladstone, also on the coast. It's covered in mangroves, the coastline, and then instantly arid bushland. It's completely different to where we are now, and you only have to travel another 500 kilometres north of that again, and you're back in the rainforest. It just constantly changes. There's no telling what you'll find next in Australia. Over the next hill, around the next bend, as my grandfather used to say, we'll just have a look around the next bend, because you never know what you're going to see. It's you know, continual adventure. I think Australia has a massive problem with people day-tripping, mm-hmm. people driving down dead-end roads to see what's there. Farmers hate us because we're always coming down the road to see what's around the next bend so yeah there's a lot of adventurers in australia in that respect and there's a lot to see you know even in our own in my own local area i've been here for 25 years or so and the temperature down here in caloundra is completely different to 40 kilometers away up the hill in mulaney Mm -hmm. straight up to the west it's like you've moved into to eastern europe (laughs) you might think you're in germany if you looked around and as a matter of fact one of the towns there now called Witter, was originally a German settlement before World War II called Teutonberg, and it was all German settlers. And during World War II, they changed the name to Witter to show their allegiance to Australia and the Crown. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to be ostracised by the locals. It's so diverse. Caloundra is much more of a sandstone, paperbark swamp sort of area, lots of nice little rivers and creeks. Before the people moved in here, there was a lot of natural springs coming out of the hills. It was a, It's a very diverse area. The uh, banks of the local Pummerstone Passage provided oysters galore, and mm-hmm. you know, it was an easy place to, su- to sustain life. But if you go up the road to Noosa, another 50 to 60 k's north, all of a sudden it's extremely tropical, lots fig trees and staghorns and, and twisted vine forests and and a lot more mozzies and midges and still just as many great rivers to explore too you know beautiful headlands and beaches in, in all these areas and Caloundra's got the diversity this similar to Noosa where it has beaches that face almost 270 degrees so we've got north south and east facing beaches so it's it's a very special little area this this area and I still discover new things about it all the time that is the voice of Regan Gordon. You are on The Trail Less Travelled, recorded on location in Caloundra, Australia, on the eastern coast, about halfway up, 100 kilometres north of Brisbane. Regan is an artist, an adventurer, and an adrenaline seeker. When we come back, we're going to learn a little bit more about Regan's adventures around the world and why he loves Australia so much. Regan, it's now time for another song. Can you share a song with us, perhaps a song that reminds you of your time in the Australian surf? When I was a teenager getting into travelling and surf trips, uh, my friends and I all loved the Red Hot Chili Peppers and one of my favourites was Breaking the Girl. And you know, Quite often we'd road trip to different surf locations and all choosing our own music and the boys would play their Metallica or Smashing Pumpkins and, and I would always force a bit of Red Hot Chili Peppers down everyone's throat. I find it to just be a really dreamy song and it would always make my imagination wander and even out in the surf or on, on the on our trips to these surfing places, it was one of those songs that sort of takes you away and, and it was iconic to the time and that period of my life sort of growing up and and the Chili Peppers were, you know, an angsty band. I think they reflected a lot of the energy of 
of the generation and of young people's thoughts and feelings. Yeah, it was a good tune to cruise along to, and and yeah, like I said, I always had to fight for my share. And and if everyone was going to force metal down my throat, I was going to force funk down theirs. Yes. <laughs> We are recording the trail less traveled on location in Australia, on the eastern coast of Australia, about halfway up in Caloundra. And I'm speaking with Regan Gordon. Regan is an artist, adventurer, and adrenaline seeker. From where we sit, we can see the ocean and the kiteboarders are outside having a rip. So I invite you to sit back, relax. Uh, perhaps it's cold where you are right now. Perhaps it's winter in the United States. So uh, maybe uh, put on a pot of tea. And I invite you to join us for a walkabout in Australia. Regan, you mentioned that you experienced freedom for the first time when you had your push bike. Can you talk about the importance of freedom to you in your life and why you experience it where you call home here in Australia? Well, the importance of, of freedom to me was uh, that sense of being able to do what you want, the sense of no strings, no one's holding you back. If there's an, something around the corner that you just have to know what it is, then that's what freedom is to me. The freedom is the right to know. It's the right to, to do my own thing and have my own adventures. And As soon as I, I had the confidence on the push bike to travel places, my friends and I would ride to various parks to play. We'd ride down the creek to catch yabbies. We were, we were off on adventures all the time. And it was the push bikes that gave us the freedom to be able to travel those kinds of distances. If we wanted to see what was on the other side of town, all we had to do was pedal there. It was amazing. As I grew up and moved into the years of being in high school and you met friends from the other side of town, it was Saturday mornings we'd catch up in a park in the middle of town, both ride our push bikes there, and then we'd take turns every weekend showing each other what it was on our side of town that we'd spent the last few years in primary school riding around with our mates. You know, it was mm-hmm. you could do anything on a push bike. There was days where we'd ride completely out of town to the local firing range to pick up bullet shells because we collected them as kids because we had such a fascination with the army and things like that. We'd ride down to the lo- local creeks for swims. We'd, we used to ride to the local golf course and collect golf balls and sell them back to the pro for money so we could buy meat pies. And and, and then we'd ride to our favourite park to eat them. Mm-hmm. It was push bikes with just this amazing way of growing up. And I would hate to think that kids these days can't just jump on a bike and safely pedal anywhere they want. And every time I see a kid on a bike... I pop a wheelie <laughs> yes. just to inspire that next generation to be a little bit more wild, do something crazy. It was My brother taught me how to ride my bike, but when I was seven years old, he started teaching me more advanced things like bunny hopping. So occasionally, Regan, when we're running away from someone, because we often were, <laughs> you're going to need to know how to bunny hop so you don't have to stop and climb up the gutters. And he taught me the whole concept, explained how it works, and the bunny hop is just basically, it's a way of jumping anything up to a foot or two foot off flat ground. There's no kick out, there's no riser. It's just you generating the energy and forcing the bike down, then up, and then levelling it flat so that you travel through the air and then land again back on the ground normally, hopefully. (laughs) So once he'd taught me the basic of the technique he then forced me to do it over a certain amount of things little gutters a couple of sticks this kind of stuff and I wasn't really getting the hang of it so he actually laid down on the ground and forced me to bunny hop him and I knew if I hit him 
he was going to throttle me. Like it was just gonna, so I was in a nervous wreck. Anyway, I rode my bike straight at him and did exactly what he told me to do, and it was the first time it worked properly. And from then on, I could bunny hop. Mm-hmm. So things as simple as learning a trick like that was the key to getting away from all sorts of mischief we found ourselves in. And you know, you find yourself scaling up. Next thing we're down at the BMX tracks, jumping big gaps and over massive jumps and you know all sorts of things but that was installed in me by my brother and older riders and every time I see a little kid riding I make sure I do something that will remind them to try and use that bike for a little bit more than what it's basically designed for mm-hmm. have a little bit of fun there's way more interest in a bike than, than just riding around normally when I uh, first got my my first ever downhill bike which I got probably about 16 years or so ago now I'd had a mountain bike before and it was a really good hybrid BMX mountain bike but nothing like this bike and I'd always been a keen wheelie wheelie guy I like to do my monos just riding around on the back wheel but this bike the first time I popped a wheelie it just sat up it just had this balance point that was amazing I felt like I was on a unicycle (laughs) and the sensation that I got out of riding on the back wheel on just this one single point of balance was another sense of freedom. I have now removed a wheel. I'm one wheel free of the two-wheel confinement my bike originally had. It was an amazing experience. It got to the point where I lived on a certain part of the um, Sunshine Coast here called Kiwana, and there's a dead, almost a dead straight road from Kiwana down to Caloundra where I worked. And in the mornings, I'd ride out of my house onto that road and see how far I could wheelie to work. And at one stage, I got to the point where I probably knocked out about five or six kilometres through traffic lights, around cars, and just, <laughs> I even became, you know, people would refer to me as the, the wheelie guy, and I'd see mates who I hadn't seen in years, and they'd be like, oh, I beeped at you the other day, you were doing a wheelie. And, um, that sense of freedom, just doing what you want. Yeah, I'm a bit of a show-off, that's the artist side. But there's a certain level of adrenaline to that wheelie too. There'd be times, you know, you're coming up to a, a red light and I'd try and ride through the traffic around traffic or over certain obstacles and see if you can stay up without falling off. There have been quite a few times I've been wheeling and um, fallen off. It was one time, and my girlfriend loves this story, I was wheeling to work. I had my day's smoko. It was a bottle of milk, some honey and some cereal all wrapped up in a plastic bag and I'd wrap that around my handlebar Coincidentally, it's around the handlebar, that, which is my back brake, my left brake, pulls in my back brake. So when I started to lean too far back, you use the back brake. It helps dip the front back down and you level back out. And as I went for that safety grab of the brake, the brake hit the shopping bag that I'd wrapped too many times around the handlebar and stopped it from engaging, and I fell off the back at high speed. My milk went everywhere. The honey went everywhere. The cereal was all displaced across the road, ready for eating and I'd lost a fair bit of skin and had an incredibly bruised ego and still had to go to work. (laughs) Yeah, and the first thing you do when you have a bike accident like that, especially when you're showing off, is you get up and you look around. Who saw that? Because hopefully, if you're lucky, no one saw it. (laughs) Secondly, you check the bike. Because the bike's, that's your special girl. You've just hurt your special girl. She's in bits. She could be broken. The chain could have come off. The bike was fine. The third thing you check is yourself. And then you just mosey on home, or off to work in this case. That bike was great. The sense of being able to do those wheelies was the same feeling I get from riding in the surf. 
being on those fine points of balance, you can feel the power when you feel that moment when you're wheeling that you need to accelerate to keep it up and then you get that extra momentum and feel that balance point that you just lean into it, your hands off the brake. I've even got to the stage where I'm changing up and down gears, going up and down hills, turning corners. It's that concept that's freedom to me. And as I grew up to the age where I was you know, able to have a car and a licence, that came again with that sense of now my journeys can go even further. Now I can, I can actually... I'm a crazy bloke. I'll put the bike on the back of the car and drive the bike even further so I can ride the bike places I couldn't ride to before. That sense of of you can go wherever you want, you can do whatever you want, you're the master of your own adventures, you're, everything is at your disposal. And that's, to me, that's the sense of freedom that I got from having a push bike and the same from, from owning a car. And, and even at times, I, you know, just the freedom of just going for a walk and, and enjoying the local beach or stuff like that, it's it all slowly becomes relevant. It's one of those certain types of magics that my grandfather used to talk about, you know, keeping it simple and, and enjoying the simple things. Like There was never one spot that wasn't good enough to look over the edge or go and see what's behind that tree or around that corner. It was, it was always another mystery somewhere, and, and often it's, it's that sense of inquisitiveness that he developed in me and in all of my family that sees us find the little magic spots here, there and everywhere. Just recently on a trip down the south coast to visit family for Christmas, my girlfriend stopped in to, to have her nails done and, and spray tan some beauty stuff. She you know, mm-hmm. spent a few days on the road. It was time for a bit of pampering time. And I went off for a little adventure in the car and found a few nice headlands. And when she was done, I went and picked her up and took her back. And she's like, how did you find this? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I just have a sense for looking down those odd roads and knowing... Like geographically speaking, another thing our grandfather used to talk a lot about was you know the the dips in the land, the way the the fall of the land, understanding what's where because of how things lie. Mm-hmm. So often you know I'll see a geographical shape in the land and go, I think that leads to a headland or a point to, and that was the proof in the pudding was was knowing those little tricks and and yeah we always seem to find those magical little spots from that level of inquisitiveness and occasionally you find a few spots you're like oh, I wish I hadn't come here. <laughs> Awesome. That is the voice of Regan Gordon, and you were on the trail as travelled. We are recording on location in eastern Australia in Caloundra. Just outside the window, you can see the beach and a pretty nice break. Regan Gordon is an artist, adventurer, and adrenaline seeker. Regan, I'd like to ask you a little bit more about the word fear. And you said that growing up, it sounds like your family helped to teach you a lot, and I wrote this down. It takes a village to raise a surfer. Um, yeah. They're like helping you to deal with the uncertainties of being out there in the surf and the different conditions and the changing conditions. So how do you deal with fear? So fear is a funny one because it's, it's, I know we all have issues with fear. It's, it's, that's common. But my family exposed me to my fears. It, like I say, my grandfather and uncle and brother and cousin used to throw me around in the surf. This was before I could swim. I had a fear of the water, and so they exploited that fear, but at the same time, never let the issue get to the point where I was in any danger, as much as my mother might consider so. But uh, yeah, every time I was under the water there, and I'd been told to hold my breath, it was as, it's as simple as that. That's all you have to do is trust us. Hold your breath, and you'd be rolling around in the water and thinking to yourself, I'm never going to come up. I don't even know which way is up. 
and then suddenly a hand had just reached down and grabbed you. Like they magically knew where you were in all that dirty, sandy water mm-hmm. somehow because they knew the way the water was travelling and, and what was going on. They were throwing you to each other almost. So there was always going to be someone there. That constant being saved by your family created this sense of not having to worry. And although it still did concern me, it sort of started to, to blanket the concept if you ask anyone in my family and a lot of my friends, they'll say that I'm fearless. The, the truth is that I'm probably more fearful than anyone. But I desire to conquer it straight away. I like to knock it on the head. I'm that person who, in bed at night, you hear that noise. I'm like, bugger it, I'm getting up. I'm going to go have a look. I've even walked outside to have a look for those noises sometimes. I did actually have an occasion where someone tried to break into my house and I walked outside and yelled at them and they ran away. Yeah. <laughs> and then I figured, I don't think they'll know how to get back home. They'll probably come back to my house. And I went outside and yelled at them again and they ran away a second time. Fear is something that cripples me. I, I often find myself when I'm, say, snorkeling or surfing or mountain biking, the fear is, is absolutely crippling and then I just throw myself in because the only way out is is to succeed you know there's a a quote i've learned just recently from an australian comedian Ando, who said there's two times in life there's now and too late so if you're afraid of something there's a fair chance it's something you need to conquer Beautiful. You are on the trail as travelled. We are recording on location in Eastern Australia, and you have been listening to the stories of Regan Gordon. Regan Gordon is an artist, adventurer, and adrenaline seeker. We have so much more to talk about. Regan, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much for having me. It's been awesome. Regan, I'd like to end your show with three bits of advice that you could share with the listener. Three bits of advice I would share with anyone is, uh, firstly, always make sure you've got enough cans for the journey. You don't want to run out partway through. Always respect the people around you and always respect the environment around you. What song would you like to end your show with? Jeff Buckley, Last Goodbye. I think it's the perfect song to end the show with. Reminds me of my, my sister and I both love this song and it's a beautiful tune. Everything by Jeff Buckley is beautiful, but so it's hard to pick just one. Namaste, Missoula. Mandela here, your host of The Trail Less Traveled. The Trail 1033's locally harvested adventure series, which airs every Sunday evening at 6. Visit the official website to archive previous episodes, see pictures, and follow us as we record on location around the world at www.traillesstraveled.net. The podcast is free and available wherever you gather podcasts, so please subscribe and consider writing us a review to help this new genre of adventure radio. I'd like to thank my guests for this week, Regan Gordon. Regan is an artist, adventurer, and adrenaline seeker born and raised in Australia. As a child, Regan spent a lot of time in the bush with his grandfather, learning how to navigate and respect the land. In Australia, the tradition of spending time learning from your elders goes back thousands of years. Regan is also a pro surfer, downhill mountain biker, and appeared in the most recent Pirates of the Caribbean movie due to his natural world-class mustache, beard, and long hair. My name is Mandela, your host of The Trail Less Traveled. I work full-time as an international adventure guide, mainly running whitewater in the Grand Canyon during the summer in order to save money to travel and record this adventure radio series. My goal is to interview adventurers and storytellers in their natural habitat in the most remote locations around the world 
in order to bring you back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. I hope these interviews inform and inspire the community to get outside and start adventuring in a similar fashion. Tonight's episode was recorded in Caloundra, Queensland, in eastern Australia. My adventure tip this week is to watch where you step when traveling in terms of walking down the sidewalk in third world countries. If possible, try not to step onto metal or concrete sewer coverings, as they can break and send you on a deeper street exploration than you may have intended. Just be safe and walk around them. Well, that's it for this week, my friends in Missoula and around the world. But until next week's adventure, please do something for Mother Earth and get outside. Shred the gnar. Because as you know, the thing about the gnar is, it doesn't shred itself. The Trail Less Traveled podcast is sponsored by Desert Green Hemp, family farmed, organically grown, tested, and manufactured in Sisters, Oregon. Desert Green is a collective of farms on the eastern foothills of the Oregon Cascade Range that grow and produce the highest quality full-spectrum CBD products currently on the market. Full-spectrum CBD oil contains vitamin A, C, and E, along with complex B vitamins such as niacin, riboflavin, and thiamine. An increasing amount of people don't consume beta-carotene, but it is abundant in full-spectrum oil. Crucial minerals contained in this oil include zinc, potassium, iron, calcium, and phosphorus. Visit DesertGreenHemp.com to check out some of their products, including CBD honey, olive oil, chocolate, salt, and my personal favorites, Yarrow Mint CBD Tincture and Hemp Flower for smoking. For me to you, my personal experience regarding the Desert Green CBD tinctures includes anxiety relief, improved eyesight, decreased inflammation in my skin and knees after four serious knee surgeries and years of battling acne. Visit DesertGreenHemp.com and remember to use promo code MANDELA for evolving discounts and special offers. That promo code M-A-N-D-E-L-A directly helps you and the future of Adventure Radio.